Well, good morning again, church. It's great to be with you today, whether you're in person or online. We have been able to bump it up to 50% uh, capacity, so it's great to see you here filling the seats or at home. Welcome. This is our final sermon in the Faith Redefined series, and we started this journey four weeks ago talking about covenant, how God makes covenant with his people. In the Old Testament, we see this old covenant, and it's only called old because Jesus started a new covenant, and that we all get to partake in that new covenant. And we looked at how God nears us and draws near to us and wants us to draw near to him. Pastor Brenda's talked about this consistent character of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that God is good, that he's slow to anger, that he's compassionate. Last week, we talked about crisis and doubts, those moments in life where we have the hard questions, where we need to pick up those hard questions and to examine them and to go deeper and to think about what does it mean. We talked about the God who will crawl through the mud to be near us. And today we talk about community, and it's inappropriate as we talked about confirmation and and the community around our confirmands that help them to grow. We too can be a part of that process, and we need people as a part of that process for our own faith. We're not meant to do the faith journey alone. Um, But before we jump in, let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you that you are here in our midst, and I just pray that you'd be speaking to each one of us today, God, that we would um, hear from you and what we need to understand, God, through the unpacking of your word, through the singing, through communion, through the testimony we've already heard. God, may you draw near to us, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So each week we've been talking about a different tool and how to interpret the Bible because the Bible was written for us, but not to us. We are not the original audience, so we need to unpack what the scripture means. And one of those first tools is what did it mean to the original audience? That's the first understanding of what the text meant. Second, know the big story. What are the big themes of Scripture that help guide how we can understand and interpret it? Also, what was the author's intent? We see four different Gospels, the life of Jesus, and yet each of them is different because each author was writing it for a different audience. And then finally today, genre. What type of literature is it? Today, we're looking at a letter, and that's a letter we... we, get glimpses of what Paul is responding to, but we only get one way of the communication. It's like if you were reading a response to an email but didn't have the original. And that's what these letters are, and they're written to a specific audience. In our case, they're written to the church in Corinth. So think of, you know, the different books in the library, and you can almost visualize them. You've got the letters, and you've got the gospels, you've got poetry, you've got Torah, You've got these books like Revelation that are called apocalyptic literature, very visual and very symbolic. And so as we think about Scripture, we can think about all these different books coming together into one. And so we want to help you to understand Scripture better because Scripture is authoritative to our lives. It's it's where we look to to see how God revealed himself, which is why it's so important we understand it correctly. So today we're looking at 1 Corinthians. And they, scholars think, you know, we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but scholars think there are probably three or four letters that Paul wrote um, to the church in Corinth. We have two of them, 
And we get to see a little bit of the issues that Paul is addressing here from the book itself. In 1 Corinthians 1, 11, Paul says, some of Chloe's household have informed me that there were quarrels among you. So there's disunity amongst the church in, in Corinth, and Paul is addressing that. Also in verse 7, now this could be another letter that came to Paul about the issues there. Now for the matters you wrote about, and then finally in 8.1, now about the food sacrificed to idols. So Paul is writing to this church about their disunity and their misuse of knowledge. Those seem to be the two things that keep bubbling up for this church. And we're going to look at how he addressed one particular use of knowledge in the food sacrifice to idols today. So let's look at these first three verses of 1 Corinthians. You'll see them on the the screen here that's also in your bulletin. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Okay, so Paul is writing this letter for various issues. Knowledge is a big one of them. And what does he say knowledge is doing to the church in Corinth? It's puffing them up. It's becoming a point of pride. They're saying, look what I know about God. And they, they think that this knowledge about God lets them off the hook for actually treating one another in love. It's an excuse to not love because of their superior knowledge. This is why Paul later in 1 Corinthians 13 dedicates a whole chapter to love as the basis of how we behave with one another. So Paul says knowledge can puff up, but then he says, actually, there's a deeper knowledge that you don't yet know, right? And it's this love building up that he wants to press into. So the first thing that we're understanding today of faith redefined in our community is that love is primary for our behavior. That's the primary motivator. That's the primary way God wants to engage us and wants us to engage him, but also with one another. We're not going to spend too much time on the issue of food sacrifice to idols, but Paul is speaking to the mature believers in the congregation here about this issue. And they know that eating the food sacrifice to idols is not a big deal. It's not a concern. It doesn't hold any power over them. The the mature believers are knowing that. But these mature believers are acting incorrectly. They're not actually thinking about how this food might be impacting the newer members of their church. So Paul is confronting them on this behavior. So rather than knowledge, these mature believers saying, you know what, this food doesn't mean anything, just go ahead and eat it. Paul says, there's something you're missing here. You're not understanding what's going on. Love needs to be your motivator, not knowledge. So he continues in verse 4. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came from and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So Paul is trying to give them perspective here about the essentials of the faith. And he says, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come, is the center of our faith. God the Father, 
through whom all things come and we live, that is an essential to our faith, this food sacrifice to idols, not such a big deal. See, in the early Greco-Roman world, they didn't so much have like restaurants you would go and order from. A lot of the food that they would eat would be food that had brought to the temple for a sacrifice. And the priest would get some and you would take the rest home. And this was, you know, the sacrificial tradition we see in Judaism, but this was also with other gods. And so those people that were mature believers, maybe they'd never took in part of this type of pagan worship. They eat this food just fine. It's not distracting for them. It's not a problem for them. But Paul is addressing those weaker Christians, newer to the faith, that that maybe they actually participated in those types of worship. So when they see this meat and they're eating it, for them, they're thinking about worshiping these other gods. So Paul says this in 8.9. He says, be careful, however, that The exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Who are the weak? Probably those who had relationship in the temple and who are thinking about the worship of those gods. So for them, they didn't want to eat this meat. The stronger Christians were trying to say, no, it doesn't even matter, right? But what does Paul say? Even though you know this, actually lay down your right. Lay down that knowledge. See it from their perspective. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't be a barrier to their faith. This is not an essential of the faith. This is something that we need to love well in because of their own journey. This is why we can accommodate one another. It's not an essential. It's not about Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. It's about this custom that we're taking part of And so he drives them to love. He drives them to set down their rights. He says, love should compel us. Okay, now this, you know, we don't spend probably thinking a lot about food sacrifice to idols as a big issue um, in our daily lives, at least not for me, right? It's not one of the questions, should should I do this or not do this? But there probably are things in your life that you do wonder about. And at Community Church, We have a way of talking about our beliefs in a way that allows for us to dialogue and to communicate. So if you are newer to our community, um, this is one of the things that we teach in the core class that Pastor Brenda will be doing is three levels of belief. And this first level are convictions, these essentials of the gospel, some of what Paul has been writing about, about Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ at the center key to the gospel. If you took one of these beliefs away, you would be probably leaving the Christian faith. They're the things that we hold tightly to. Another one, a second level belief would be persuasions. They're important. Scripture talks about them, but maybe Christians don't agree. Maybe it's gifts of the Spirit. Maybe it's having a female pastor like we do here. Maybe it's the age of baptism. Maybe it's communion. Maybe it's other hot-button issues that are in the culture and we think, ah, oh, these are important, right? And, and we might try to elevate these things to conviction level and, and actually miss the mandate of love, miss what God wants to do in our midst. See, we don't all have the same beliefs in the persuasion level. And if we are in a community with everybody being the same, it can be like an echo chamber, right? Whether that's your theology or your politics, 
And it's more comfortable to be with everybody that's the same, but it probably doesn't stretch us and it probably doesn't grow us. Oftentimes in a given week, I'll, I'll sit down and talk with people who have different persuasion level beliefs. And my hope is that as a community, as we encounter that, we can come together and actually hear each other, listen to each other, sometimes challenge each other, but to grow each other, to see that Christ can be in the person who is different from me. See, if we don't have diversity, we can develop a really narrow view of what it means to walk in faith. We can miss our own blind spots. Right now, our council is looking and we're discerning vision and what are our core values. And we want to hear from all of you as well. So message me or anybody on council. What do you think those key things of our DNA are? And even if you're brand new, what, what draws you here? What are you encountering? Because this DNA of unity and diversity this inclusive community that we foster, this authentic community and family are things that we walk in. See, it's not just what are my beliefs, it's how do we walk those beliefs in in real life. And that's what Paul is reminding the church here of. It's not just you know you can eat that food, it's actually how are you treating your brother and your sister? Because if our theology is harming our brother and sister, friends, we have missed it. We have missed the mandate of love if we're allowing our beliefs to harm the other. And that's what the church in Corinth is doing. They're allowing their knowledge to actually harm the person who is next to them. And finally, persuade uh, opinions, things that we um, maybe don't even talk about in Scripture. Maybe it's musical style. Maybe it's church governance. Um, these things are interesting to explore, and yet they're not... Um, all the same level of importance between convictions, persuasion, and opinions. See, I have discovered in my journey with God that um, the things that are on that top level have become fewer and fewer. I used to put everything up there. That's how my church journeyed. It's like they're all important. Everything is important. And actually, that's not true. So those convictions have become fewer but deeper. Fewer but more important. Fewer but more robust. Holding on to that and growing in that is a key to how God can grow us. Now, I want to take one more look about the faith. So as a community, we help to remind each other about the primacy of love, the importance of the essentials, but also one more passage to help us as a community. How do we help each other redefine our faith? Mark 2, 1 to 5 says this, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man and carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And this is a famous story in scripture. And you get this really kind of crazy, beautiful image of these friends bringing 
their friend, the paralyzed man, and they're obviously they're late, right? Everybody got there before them, and but they're desperate. They're desperate because they know the struggles of their friend. The paralyzed man could not get there on his own. He was dependent on his friends. And so this friends bring them in to this this room as they sort of separated the branches and things that were making up the roof and lowers them in. And so this third aspect of, of how is community involved is we can lean on the faith of others when we don't have the faith ourselves. Because what does, what does Jesus say to, to this group? When Jesus saw their faith, that's not the paralyzed man's faith. That's his friend's faith. He sees their faith. What does Jesus not say? All right? He says, ah, you guys are late. Uh, service starts at 1130. And sorry, you're right. No, he's moved by their desperation. He's moved by their faith of bringing them to do whatever they can to bring their friend to Jesus. Because they know Jesus can heal him. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. It's this familial term that he uses, this intimate term. And, and he's actually not saying in this moment, son, I am forgiving your sins. He's letting us know what God has already done. Your sins are forgiven because God is a generous God. And then we learn that actually he is healed physically. Friends, we need one another in church. Faith is not an individual journey. We need others, and others will need us. As we were hearing in the testimony today and earlier, we don't do this alone. I have a final sort of picture I want to show you, and this is uh, Cody and I, obviously years ago, um, by Cody's size and my friend Darren, and we're backpacking in, in Yosemite. It's summertime, but you can see all the snow on the mountain behind us. And it was a great trip. And, and many times the trail looked like this, where you could actually see where you were going. And we love that. And sometimes our faith is like that. We can see the steps that we have to take in front of us. But oftentimes we get, and this was an actual trail. This is actually Sheko. I took this picture um, last summer when I was hiking around. You get to this place, you have no idea where the trail goes. You don't know which way to go, and you don't want to get stuck in the ravine, and you don't want to go back, and you, you have no idea where to go. And then there are these beautiful things that people put up who have been on the path before you. They're called Karens, and maybe you've seen them on trails yourself. And when you are looking for which way to go, these things are a lifesaver. They can save you much pain and anguish and wandering And friends, we can be the Karen for somebody else, right? We can share what God has done in our lives. This stack of bricks, these doubts, these crises, experiences, God uses them to build faith in our own lives so we can share that with others. Because we will all have times where we can't tell which way to go forward But the faith of a fellow brother or sister in Christ is such a helping hand. And then we also can do that for one another. doesn't mean we have to know where the final destination is, but we've gone just a little bit further down this little road that that maybe they haven't gone down yet. And so we can be that Karen 
on the faith journey of others. That's why God calls us into community to love one another, to remind us the primacy and the importance of the essentials of the faith, and to be there to sometimes carry when we cannot carry ourselves. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here, that you are with us, and that you have called us not to just live an isolated life, God, but you've called us to be invested into the lives of others because we need one another, God, and they will need us. God, I pray that you would pour your spirit into each of us, that we can grow in you to take that next step. We might not be able to see far down the road, God, but may you surround us with people that can help us take the next step. God, we thank you that you are here, that you are present. In your name, amen.